Welcome to West Virginia Uncommonplace. Today, I have a guest with me who has a disciplined art, as I want to call it. And my guest today, her name is Julian Rothschild Scholar. And yes, her name has a catch to it. Um, so, Julian, if you wouldn't mind, would you please introduce yourself to the audience and tell them what you were here to talk about today and an interesting fact about yourself that no one else knows. <laughs> <laughs> well, my name is Jillian Rothschild Scholar. I am the owner and founder of Feng Shui in Motion. I help people who are dealing with kind of big unanswered life questions and are looking for a way to get some clarity so that they can move forward. Because sometimes when people have unanswered life questions, they sort of feel stuck and they're not sure where to go. And so I actually practice classical feng shui and I use the resources within Chinese metaphysics and feng shui to help people understand how to use their physical environment uh, so that they can feel more support and they can have more of what they want in their lives. Okay, so let's cut straight to the chase. What is feng shui? Because in this, this realm that we live in now, there's, there's two different generations of people. I was born in 1985. So... I'm from a, you know, I'm 35 years old. So I'm from a generation that tends to have people that are, were from the 60s and 70s and, and other times that would know what feng shui are. And people from the 90s should know too. But this new age of adults and teenagers may not know what feng shui is. Could you sure. please explain that? Absolutely. So essentially feng shui is a type of energy work. It's a little bit like acupuncture for the space. It opens up powerful energy channels in your home so that the home can feel stronger and more harmonious and more powerful. So essentially, feng shui is a support system for our lives. It's an ancient Chinese art and science that allows us to create harmony and balance within any environment. So when we create harmony and balance, it lends support to our lives. And then when our lives have support through our physical environment, then it's much easier for us to achieve the things that we want in life, like well-being and abundance and prosperity and love and happiness. And so when we're feeling nourished by our, our space, by the, the place that we live, we're just aligned with it and we can more effectively tap into the life that we want. It's just so much easier to go with the flow and feel like you're, you're going downstream in the river instead of trying to row your boat up with, you know, upstream. That just doesn't work. You, instead of feeling stuck, you can really go with the flow of life. Okay. Now, here's my question on all this. All right. I like how you explained it because you kind of enticed me with the way you explained it. But what are the obstacles that you have when you explain this to a person? Because I kind of um, want to think that if someone comes to you about wanting to uh, take part of this art, um, they already know a little bit about feng shui. But what about the person? Like, how do you explain the benefits to a person that has no idea what feng shui is? A lot of times what I get are people who call me and say, if I change my drapes, am I going to get the money that I want in my job? <laughs> so a lot of people think that interior design is feng shui. And don't get me wrong. I think aesthetics and how pretty your space is, is definitely important. And it should definitely look good to you. However, I work with the energetic component of feng shui. And so some of the obstacles that I come up with is people not understanding that we're talking about something that's called formless chi. So there's three types of chi or energy. Okay. There's form chi, which is like the mountains, the rivers, the roads, the, um, the, the sort of the, the ebb and the flow of the land and how things move around in the natural formation of the earth. 
Then there's our human chi, which is just the, the chi that's part of our bodies, what we are born with, the energy that we bring to a space. And then there's what's called formless chi. So this is a fundamental concept, the idea that chi exists in everything. There's energy that exists everywhere and it moves in a very predictable and uh, specific pattern. And so when we understand how this chi moves in our space, we can tap into those sort of potent, vibrant points in our, our homes so that we can have a better connection. It's a little bit like when you have Wi-Fi in your house. If you have a big house, that Wi-Fi signal may be stronger in some areas of the house and weaker in other areas in the house. And if you're working from home and you've got an important meeting, you're going to go to the area of the house where that Wi-Fi is strongest, right? right. And that's the same thing that we want to do with feng shui. We want to use the areas of the house where that, that energy is most potent and most vibrant so that we can feel better and be stronger. Okay, so I want to know, how do you sense the energy? So say like if you know, you, you, we'll just use a fictional place. Say like we were in, um, I don't know, we'll just go Cincinnati, Ohio. And I live in a high rise and I work in, obviously because of COVID-19, I work inside that high rise. How do you know exactly where the energy, the the strongest form of energy comes from? So there's two different answers to that. One is we want to look at the landform, especially if you're in Cincinnati. I know there's a river there. So we need to know where the, the water is flowing, what direction the chi or the energy is flowing in the land and how it's, how it's connected to the building that you're in. And then the building itself will have been built at a specific time and it will be angled at a specific direction. And with all this information, we can calculate a, like an audit map of the energy of the space. And then when we have that information, we can identify hey, you've got three rooms. Based on this audit map, we can tell you this room is going to be most potent. This room over here that you're using might not be helping you so much. And so, hey, try using this other room over here and this is what you can expect to get. So we're really using time and direction um, in classical feng shui. And I'm measuring that with what's called a low pan. It's a a very sensitive compass and it is beautiful and intricate and it can measure very specifically, it's accurate to a half of a degree of where that building is located. And when we have that information, we can extrapolate all kinds of analysis from that detail. Oh, well, so that's, that's really got a little science to it. There's uh, the science bit to it, right? The art is, um, the art of it is being able to take your energy as a person, identifying your personal energy, and then combining it with the best energy in the property so that we can identify for you and make recommendations about how you can use this space. That's the art component. Okay. Okay. Now let me ask you this because we're in COVID-19 right now. We don't know how long this is going to last because we just got some vaccines. It's going to be a while. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to definitely be a while. So how has this affected your sessions? Like how are you able to continue doing this? Or is this something that you still go out into the world and do? Or is it something that you can do? Remotely. Yeah. So the answer is I can do both. I've actually been working in feng shui for a number of years and I can certainly do quite a bit remotely. Um, Now we have things like Google Earth and we have other GPS devices where we can take some measurements remotely. And a lot of what I can assess is able to be done away from the property, especially for an initial consultation. Now, when someone is wanting to do more advanced techniques in classical feng shui, like building in a wealth formula or installing a water feature, like a pool or a hot tub or a, Um, a fountain, 
then those are going to require on-site visits because the measurement has to be taken on-site. Um, but I think that there's a little bit of a myth that you can't you can't do feng shui successfully unless you're there. It's definitely helpful. Don't get me wrong. I would love to be able to feel the energy of the space and be there on site and take a measurement in person. That's going to um, help the overall outcome. However, if someone's really in a dire situation and can't have someone come because they're immunocompromised or um, there's something else going on in the home where they, they can't have visitors, we can certainly work remotely and, um, and take some action steps to get you on that path to wellness a little faster. Okay, so inside of a podcast, we have people that listen to it in certain spots. So a few times during this interview that we're doing, I would like for you to plug, you know, your website and stuff like that. So for a moment, if someone wants to contact you, how do they get in touch with you? Right. So Feng Shui in Motion is the business and the website is www.fsinmotion.com. The website has a series of blogs and I also offer a newsletter so people can sign up for a free newsletter and hear from me a couple times a month with information about feng shui, the energy of the month, what to expect in the season, and um, some special things that come out throughout the year too. Okay. And what about, is there any social media that they can reach you on? Yes. I am on LinkedIn. I am on Instagram. My favorite. And I'm also on, my Instagram handle is... Uh, feng shui and motion and my facebook page is uh feng shui and motion uh as well okay okay and the only reason i always ask that is because like i said it's weird listeners come in at different points all right so let's get back one topic here all right so when someone does initial con consultation with you uh after you set up the actual um viewing however you do it um how do you, um, is there any type of training that this person needs to uh, be informed of that they need to go over while you're doing this or? No, 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 no. It, you would, if you hire a plumber, you're not going to expect to be involved in dealing with the plumbing issue in your house. <laughs> okay. you, you just need, you need the plumber to tell you what's wrong, how they're going to fix it and what your role is, right? Maybe your role is to, um, run more water in your sink after you run the dish the disposal so that everything can get flushed in. Like maybe that's your role afterward. So and from a feng shui perspective, what I'm first doing is having a discovery session. We're going to spend quite a bit of time discussing what's working, what's not, what you've tried. Often people will have tried feng shui on their own. They've read a book, they maybe hired someone else. Something is still not getting fixed or they're not happy with the situation or something really dire has happened, there's a catastrophe or a disaster, or a big health issue, um, and they, they need some relief very quickly. Um, and so we'll first spend some time discovering what the root cause of the issue is or what you've tried or what's not working. Then once an assessment is made, I make a pretty detailed report. I need a floor plan. And with that floor plan, I can highlight in the property where the best areas are to use. And I give very specific instructions um, with time sensitive activation points, meaning if I'm going to recommend that you use a different room or make a change to the orientation of your furniture, like maybe change your bed around, then I'm also going to give you a good date to do that on because with feng shui, it's like location, location, location. But one of the aspects of what I do is something called date selection and date selection is timing is everything. And when you put that together, the results are, um, a little bit brighter, a little bit more vibrant, and things can accelerate a little bit more quickly when you use the right timing. 
So in my reporting, I'm giving recommendations on what to update, what to change, what actions to take and when to do them. And from that process, then I will meet with a client usually afterward in a series of communications just to check in, see how things are going and see what other adjustments need to be made. Okay. Now let's get to the personal side of things. Cause this is my favorite part that I love okay. to do. Kind of like, uh, think of, you, you remember, uh, the, the TV show 2020, you had Diane Sawyer, yeah. you had, uh, I'm Barbara Walters. Myself, yeah. yeah. And then you had John Stossel on there. We're yeah. not going to do the John Stossel part just yet. Okay. Here's, here's the Diane Sawyer question. All right. In this art that you, that you, um, practice in, what is your personal experience? that made you become a firm believer? I'm not going to say believer because that's not the right context. What made you continue to pursue using feng shui? What happened personally in your life, if you don't mind sharing? Sure. No, I don't mind at all. Actually, I was always kind of a, like a little bit of a weird kid. I grew up in Ohio and I was always interested in like horoscopes and alternative anything that I could get my hands on in Ohio, like um, alternative medicine or herbs or horoscopes or just kind of anything I get my hands on. And then as I grew older and I realized that that could be applied, those kinds of alternative options could be applied to a house. I started reading about feng shui. At that time, I was in a pretty nine to five corporate career kind of environment at that time. And they moved me from Pennsylvania out West to open a group. And I thought things were going really well. I thought I was going to have big career at this company. And right after I bought the house, and moved to the West Coast, um, everything started to fall apart. (laughs) And I couldn't understand what was going on. And I just kind of let it all happen. And I just, I let it fall to pieces. And I just kind of picked myself up and I was kind of looking over my shoulder going, what just happened here? And I knew about feng shui and I tried to do it myself and it wasn't coming together. And so I called someone for help. I hired somebody and this person became my first teacher. And she came in and she said, do this, do this, do this, do this. And she kind of gave me a list of, of task oriented things to do. And I did them all. And it was a little bit like a zipper. And it was like, click, everything <laughs> just kind of came together. And the way that it came together was not only did I feel better and I got a paycheck with a, a bunch of extra zeros that I wasn't really expecting. And then my husband was bought into it. He was like, wow, this really works. <laughs> and so that began my journey with my own experience to sort of pick myself up from kind of a traumatizing corporate experience to exploring this new avenue to how, how to get support in my life to get more of what I wanted. And once I started to see those results for myself, then I really started to study. And I was like, well, if I can have this, anybody can have this. Um, And it just led me down over a decade of studying and exploring and learning and testing and trying and practicing. And it's brought me to where I am today. Okay. I like that answer a whole lot. Yeah. Now here goes the Barbara Walters question. This is the, this is the one that's a little bit more hard hitting. Okay. Now you're using feng shui to help someone. Okay. Mm-hmm. But you know, people look for a certain result and results. We can never put a time frame on it, but some people in the world put a time frame on results. How do you fix it? I'm putting quotations around this, a problem that someone has with the way that you've developed uh, a feng shui plan for them? Like, how do you fix their feng shui problem after they have feng shui in their lives, if they consider it a problem? So if I understand your question correctly, what I hear you saying is they've hired me. We did a bunch of stuff. 
they didn't get the results that they were hoping for and they want me to fix it again. Is that what I hear you saying? Yes. Okay. So what we need to do is assess, we need to have a starting point. You're in point A and you want to get to point B. And we need to talk about all the little mini steps that might get you to point B. Even though you think it needs to happen tomorrow, that might not be the right timing. And some of that timing can be attributed to not only the feng shui, but your personal energy that you carry. And so a lot of that is reframing what the expectation is. Here's a great example. If a, someone is looking for love in their life, one of the ways that we can assess when a partner may come is through using a Chinese astrology chart called a Batsa chart, which is a little bit like your life map of your journey based on when you're born. And so in your life map, it can show when a relationship may show up. And if that relationship might not show up for a couple of years, we need to have a real conversation about the expectation. This life map says that this relationship is not likely to come for the next couple of years. What can we do between now and then to take little incremental steps to get you ready for that? So with Chinese metaphysics, there's a lot of talk about luck. And luck is broken down into three parts. There's heaven luck, which is the luck you're sort of born with. This is your destiny. There's human luck, which is our choices and sort of the way that we make our, our life in the world. Then there's earth luck, which is the feng shui. So a more westernized view of luck is we think, oh, you won the lottery, lucky you. Or, oh, you stepped off the sidewalk right before the bus hit you and you weren't mangled, lucky you. That's sort of the luck version that we have. In the Eastern perspective, you cultivate your own luck. That's really preparation meets opportunity. So if you study hard or you practice hard or you're ready for the opportunity, when it's there, you are in a better position to take it. So from a feng shui perspective, if you're relaxed, you're more aware, you don't have a body full of stress, you're happy, you're content, you know how to manage worry and stress because it never goes away. You don't, then you don't miss the aspects of life that are more life affirming and good. That's another form of luck. So when someone isn't getting where they want to go, we need to sort of reframe how we're evaluating our luck so that we can be prepared for the opportunities when they're there. Okay. That answer right there, that will satisfy me that. Because like you, you explained it on a, a level that worked for me. Okay. <laughs> and I hope it works for the rest of the audience. I try to break it down to like the, the easiest, most digestible way to, because I mean, really feng shui is a huge, complex, deep, deep subject and we don't have a ton of time. So try to make it as digestible as possible. Okay. Now, um, so I'm going to go into some more questions. These are more like someone that's, that's searching for you. Um, so when is the best time for someone to contact you for a consult? Of course, I'm going to say anytime. <laughs> and usually it's around something that either someone wants to fix or they have a really strong intuition that something is off and they can't put their finger on it. Okay. All right. So, um, and that can happen anytime. So, you know, you could be running into an issue six months from now and going, I, I listened to this podcast. She said I could call anytime. I just don't know why I'm having a crappy year. Everything was going fine and things are just not coming together. And it could be June and you could be like, oh, let's call and see what's going on. And it's totally appropriate. Okay. Now, I always like to flip things around because you studied and you took time to learn more about feng shui and become one with it. What would you tell someone that wants to get into this field? How would you tell them um, how to become one in feng shui? 
I think that the best way to identify if it's something that's for you is to test it for yourself. I think that um, it's totally okay to bring in help because it is a complex subject. And if somebody is interested in going down this path, it's really helpful to, to understand your own experience with it. And then when you have your own experience, it's a great idea to study. So this is the reason that I teach. I actually have a class coming up in the spring on the four pillars of destiny. And I just taught a class um, maybe about a month ago or so on getting a good introduction to feng shui. Okay, um, no. And that class is actually available if somebody is interested in taking that class. Um, and I'll be running it again this year. So it's going to be coming up. It's really helpful to, I think, take a little bit of, of education and build on it. I studied over a decade and I still learn new things all the time because this is a, a, a living, breathing practice. Um, and there's people all over the world who share case studies and share experiences and share information so that we can help people have really good results. Um, this is not the kind of study where you can take a class in a weekend and call yourself a practitioner. I, that's not, okay. I don't really, I don't subscribe to that. I know there are people who do, but it's just not the way that I work because I, I think that the deeper you go, the more information you need in order to be effective. All right. And these classes you were, you were, that you were just talking about that you provide, yeah. or I'm going to call it, which one is better class or training? It's a training. I mean, this is, it's, you could call it a workshop. You could call it a class. I mean, when I talk about training for myself, I talk about weeks or years of training. I did a year and a half of private mentoring training with my, my master teacher. That's, that's real training, right? Class or, um, a class or a workshop is more applicable to what I'm talking about so far. Okay, so your workshop, how did people get involved in this? Is this something, obviously something you're doing satellite also because yeah. of COVID-19. How do they yeah. get involved with that? Because the thing is, is that I have, you know, certain people that are a part of the audience that when they get into a, a subject matter, they want to get all in, they want to dive in the pool completely and touch the bottom and come right back up Yeah, yeah. Uh, with results. And, you know, when I say results, I'm not saying like, you know, feng shui will help them book up a millionaire in two weeks, but you know, what you kind of do is, is a self-care uh, thing also. So how can they get into your training class or your workshop? Right. So when I run a training, so I think that there's a, there's a lot of online training out there right now. There's a lot of opportunity as, and there's information everywhere. So it's sometimes difficult to know where to go or where to invest your money. So when I do a training, I do two, I do it two ways. One, I do a live session. So it'll be a live Zoom class where I'm giving presentation and, and you could do Q&A in real time like that. The other way that I do training is I will have a class that's recorded and offer live sessions after you've watched your recording so that you're not just sitting there watching a video or watching a, a class that was pre-recorded without the ability to ask questions in real time because this is information that is new. It, it, your brain always won't always know what to do with it. <laughs> so you get a bunch of information and your brain starts to file it away in something that it understands. And you have to leave a little bit of room in your brain for something it doesn't get. And that's where you need a teacher to be accessible. And so when I'm teaching, I want to make sure that a student understands that um, there's always going to be time for questions because it's new information and they need support. And that's what I'm here for. Okay. And, and I definitely appreciate that because like the way that you explain that, that um, will help someone that's out here in this new age of uh, how do we do this? How do we do that? Right. And, like uh, I just took a masterclass. I'm sure people have heard about masterclass. Like I just watched one online 
And it was fabulous. It was really, really interesting. And I left with a bunch of questions and no way to get answers. Like, I just was like, oh, that's, that was really great. And, and it was really wonderful information. It was valuable and powerful. And I'm glad I did it. And what do I do now that I have questions? So I think it's really important that when you're learning something new or something that's going to be meaningful, you need to have someone available to ask questions. Okay. And, and I agree with that too, because it makes things a whole lot easier. Because like I said, in my line of work, I get some type of training here or there and I don't have anyone to ask questions to. Right. And then it's just stuck in the air. And it's know. not fun, especially if you invest a good amount of money in training. I mean, some of these trainings and these programs are not inexpensive. <laughs> it's not like going to Starbucks and getting a $3 coffee. This is sometimes pretty, um, it's, it's an investment in your education and it's an investment in what you want to learn. And I think it's important that someone evaluate what they're really going to get out of it from a training. That's all. Okay. Okay. Now, something that I do on my show, uh, and I had a guest on, he's a rapper out of New York City, does pretty good numbers on Spotify. He can take in a Rubik's Cube and solve it in 40 seconds. I had another guest from out of a random place in Virginia. She doesn't like the sound of cans opening, like soda carbonated drinks. So, Julian, it's your turn to uh, give back to the audience. And okay. We need to know a secret or a hidden talent about you that no one else knows. I'm not that talented. <laughs> I'm really, I'm not that interesting. I was a very, very obedient kid. Um, something that I'm talented that nobody else knows. All right. And I'll give you one that I go on. All right. Um, I have this, this thing, like I eat all kinds of food, obviously I'm from West Virginia, so I eat almost anything. Um, so, and that, that was a bad thing to say. I didn't really mean that, guys. But, um, I, I'll, you know, a lot of vegetables. But I do not like the vegetable beet, the beets. Like, I don't, something about them, I just can't eat them. If you have them at your house, I will unfriend you in real life. And we just won't be friends anymore if you show them to me on. Oh, you don't want to know what's in my fridge then. Oh, Lord. And if you show to me on Facebook, I'll keep you on my Facebook, but I'll block you on Messenger. Okay. You know, so... <laughs> <laughs> I really, it's just something, I, I, I've eaten them in life. I try to eat them every year to see if it, something will change, but it's the one vegetable on earth that I just don't like. I'll eat parsnip, I'll eat rhubarb, I'll eat anything else, alfalfa grass, okay. but I will not eat beets. All right. So one of the things that I'm really good at that people don't always know about me is I'm really good with spatial problems. Spatial meaning not special, <laughs> <laughs> spatial. So if you're trying to fit a bunch of stuff in a, small space. I'm really good at being able to mentally picture exactly where it's supposed to go in order for it to all fit. So you're very good at Tetris then? Uh, you know, I'd never played that as a kid because I didn't have a Nintendo or any of that stuff. I was, I was a kind of, I didn't have that opportunity as a kid, but yeah, sure. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't, basically, yeah. So basically like real I life take, Tetris. Yeah. All right. So I could basically take you to Japan and you could fit everything inside of my small apartment in Japan. Probably. I probably could. Well, first thing that we would do is declutter because really we have way too much stuff. The first thing is you have probably have way too much stuff. <laughs> so, <laughs> but if you're trying to pack for Japan and you're trying to get everything packed in a small suitcase for two weeks, I could probably make it fit. Okay. And I definitely um, think that that's a pretty good skill. You know, not everybody can do that because I can't do that. I, I'm not a hoarder or anything, but my stuff kind of it's organized, like, I am a collector of video games. They're organized, but everything else in life just 
has a place somewhere. Right. It has a place somewhere. And one of the things that I talk about in feng shui is that we need to deal with our clutter because as I'm going to say this here in the United States, our houses are relatively big compared to what is available in the rest of the world. So we actually have a lot of physical space and nature abhors a vacuum. And so nature is going to fill it with something. What we've done is we fill it with stuff. We have so much stuff that we have to open a storage unit down the street to store our stuff for that we have no relationship to. Like we go, maybe we'll go visit it once a year and yeah. we just pay money to store it somewhere else. And that's really, true. if you're, you have that much stuff, it's really important that you deal with your clutter because the nature of, of abundance is that you really actually need an empty cup in order for abundance to be full, to fill it up. It's a little bit like the universe wanting to drop a present in your house and you have no place in the the house. There's no empty space for it to be dropped into because it's filled with other stuff. That makes sense. So I really encourage people to do like trash bag therapy where you've got like three bags where you've got a bag for stuff you're going to keep that you use, that it's beautiful, it's functional, it works, it brings you joy in your life. Awesome. Then you've got a bag for stuff that is broken, outdated, doesn't fit, um, is is out of style something that you just don't need anymore maybe it could be given away maybe it could be re, you know regifted or donated or just trashed altogether and then there's a sort of like copious tenuous pile where you aren't sure what to do with it it's the what if pile what if i need it someday what if that person's going to be mad at me if i get rid of it um it's it, it can sort of dodgy right like you don't you're not sure if you should get rid of it or not and it's really what i say about that is Put it in a container, put it in a bag, put a date on it. And if you do not have cause to open that container or that bag for six months, you've proven to yourself you can live without it. That makes sense. That's really strong. I'm going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I am guilty of this myself. I have a project for the next couple of weeks when it's cold and, you know, we're not going anywhere. I have a couple of boxes that are going to be sorted through for sure. And they're going to be, they're, they're going to, they're going to get chucked for sure. Right, because I try to take everything and make a uh, make it into something um, that I want that I need to keep forever, forever, forever. And then certain things that are just like minute or whatever, I just put them in my memories museum and just they're gone. Right. You <laughs> so, really don't need the pictures of me and my kids, my my childhood high school friends, because they don't want to see those pictures, and neither do I. <laughs> you just don't need to keep them anymore. Right, and for something like that, that, that that's like that. That's something you can scan in and send to the cloud. <laughs> and I can hold it as ransom for those people who have issues in their life. No, I'm not doing that. I'm really not going to actually do that, but I could put it in the cloud. Absolutely. Yes. And, and I think that's what, that's what I do a lot of digital stuff. It just, it, nothing sits on a computer or anything like that. Right. So, but you're not going to, I mean, if you're on a diet, right. And you lose a bunch of weight, you're not going to keep a bunch of old clothes and, and say, oh, when I can fit into these jeans again, I'm going to keep them and wear them that day. No, you're not. <laughs> you're going to no, go buy right, something definitely. new and fresh. You're not going to want that thing that you wore five years ago. It's probably out of style. It probably smells funky and it's going to bring you bad memories. Go get something new and let somebody who needs it have that now. It's totally worth getting rid of. Yeah. I want to take that concept with me and I hope my audience does too. Yeah. It's a good tip. Yeah, that is a good tip. So Julian, um, I want to thank you for being on West Virginia and Commonplace. I had such a good time talking with you. This um, was great. This was a delight. And um, one thing though that uh, I always have, I always tell uh, guests, with what you have going on, um, 
you should have your own podcast. Um, everyone in life has a time frame between seven and nine o'clock at night, no matter where you are in the world. And nobody can tell me any different because I'm hard set on this. It only takes 15 to 20 minutes to do a podcast. If you're doing it by yourself, if you've got guests, it takes like an hour, it takes a, a week or two of scheduling. But I think that you have the chops for a podcast. Have you ever thought about that? I, you know, I've been asked, you're not the first person actually to ask me this question. Um, I, I listen, I, and I know my chart very well. So I read my own Chinese astrology chart and I know myself very well. I know that I could be very good at anything I put my mind to. I could be good at digging ditches. I could be good at, um, cooking. I can be good at reading, you know, reading books and being a librarian. I could do whatever I put my mind to. I know I can do well, but you really are the expert at what you do. <laughs> I'm going to let you continue being the expert at podcasting. I'm going to continue being the expert in feng shui. <laughs> Okay, well, can I ask you this? And I'll do this right on air. Yeah. Um, is there a chance that we could ever get you to come back on? Because you have Absolutely. so much more. You have so much more to talk about. I'd actually, if you're ever free, I'd like to kind of make you a monthly deal because you have so much to talk about. You have so many aspects that sure. we could do a podcast for days. Yes, we. I mean, I could talk endlessly about this. So, you know, when we're talking now, this is a very sort of general conversation, but Chinese New Year is the beginning of February every year. And I talk a lot about the energy of the year, what we can expect, what's coming, what to plan for. I do a lot of those conversations in January and February. All right. And then so, we, so we'll definitely get you scheduled for one. So yeah. once again, thank you for being a West Virginia Commonplace. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you again. All right. Thank